morning, everyone. You are so welcome here to Emmanuel Church this morning. If you're still in the foyer, just make your way in. We're going to kick straight into worship here.
amazing that we get to gather to praise the one who is holy, to gather in with all of the angels and all of heaven and all of creation, declare that he is worthy of it all. We're going to continue worship in a little minute, but maybe you'd like to take your seats for now. I would love to start just by welcoming you. It's so lovely to have you here with us this morning. Just so people are filtering in and grabbing a seat, why not turn around and welcome someone to church this morning? Great, it's so lovely to have you all here. If you're a visitor with us this morning, or if you'd like to know anything about what we do around here, we have a connections point at the back. And so any questions, any queries you might have, there'd be lovely, friendly people there to meet and greet you who will try and answer any of the queries that you might have. Also, if you have any questions about our kids' environments, we run kids' environments from 15 months up to third year. And so if you have any questions about those or would like to get your kids registered for those, then please do see the guys at the back in the Navy t-shirts saying kids, and they would love to do that for you. I'm just going to give a few announcements for the, the week and the month coming up, and then we're going to um, break bread together. Hopefully you have your key June or key July and August dates. July is obviously closing out this week, which is a bit crazy, but the August ones are still standing. So please have a look at those. Please be at what you need to be at. Just one that I really want to highlight is this week we start back into our corporate prayer rhythm. So this Wednesday night we're gathering to pray here in Emmanuel Church at 7.45 p.m. So I don't know if you're like me, I really miss corporate prayer over July. And so I'm really, really excited to get back together. And so we would love for you to gather with us this Wednesday night 7.45 here at Emmanuel Lurgan and then next Wednesday we'll be praying in Emmanuel Portadown but please make a huge effort to be there we've lots to be praying about we've lots to be asking God to come and move on as we move into a new season and plan for September and all that will be coming up again so please do that also the prayer room continues to happen as you know we're running 24-7 right throughout the summer and so if you'd like to take a slot you're not signing up for a sequence of slots just one-off slots and so if you'd like to pray in the prayer room this week put your name and your number in one of the little slots and we'll text you the code if you need it to get into the door if it's outside of office hours. Then finally, our big announcement is Kids Week. Um, as you know, it's happening from the 20th to the 24th of August. We opened registration for our Kids Week on Friday. We already have 124 just for the P1 to P7 environment. We have 34 for the, the nursery environment. I'm not even sure how many we've got signed up for the additional needs one, but um, I just think that's amazing. But also to you, Get your skates on if you haven't got your kid registered. Just with those high volume of numbers coming so quickly, it means you're probably going to have to close registration really, really soon. And so if you like your kids or your grandkids or your neighbours intend any of those kids' environments during that week, then please do go on to the website or go on to Facebook. You'll find all the links there to register. I just think it's amazing. I think it speaks a massive testimony to our kids workers and the kids work that happens here in church that when we put it out there within a few days, 120 kids of primary age, 34 um, under primary school age, sign up for our kids' environment. It's absolutely amazing. But for them to be able to cope with the volume of, that, of numbers like that, they're going to need more volunteers. And so maybe you can help with one of the nights or all of the nights. Maybe you can come help serve food or help a craft, whatever it might be. And so we would love for you and would really, really value your help in that. And so we're going to be putting out a little link this afternoon that you can just click on Facebook or on any of our social media sites just to register that you could do it. Put your name and number and your availability. If not, if you're not au fait with uh, online stuff, then please do someone at the, see someone at the connection point or one of our kids' workers. But we're asking for more hands on deck just so that we can cope with the numbers of kids that have registered for that. 
I think that's all of our announcements for um, this week. So why don't we stand as we continue to worship this morning? Let's stand. Just to let you know, our tithes and offerings will be collected during worship. We see that as an act of worship. And so during the second or third song, the baskets will go down the rows. You want to give to God generously, freely we receive, freely we want to give back to him. And please know that we treat all monies with wisdom and generosity that come into this house. But we're going to remember the Lord now. There's two tables here at the front and there's two tables at the back. But let's settle our hearts as we come around the table this morning. Let's just take a moment in the silence to, to, to refresh again, to tune in again on what we're actually remembering. The price that Jesus paid for each and every one of us, what the little cup and the little piece of bread actually represent. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Let's just examine our hearts as we come around the table this morning in the silence. Here's what we're remembering, Colossians 2. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Live for Christ, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Not by a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away of the sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by the victory over them on the cross. As we come to the table this morning, we are remembering the victory that Christ won for each and every one of us, so that we could be a victorious people. So we remember his death, but we remember the victory of his resurrection. We remember the promise of the Holy Spirit. There is victory over sin and shame and death and sickness. As we come around the table this morning, we are a victorious people. And it's in this mind that we come around the table this morning. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come this morning and partake of the, of the cup and of the bread. Let's remember the Lord.
sings my soul then sings my soul how great your love is how great your love is behold Father's heart, the mystery he lavishes on us. As deep cries out to deep, oh, how desperately he wants us.
Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name.
Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that's extended towards us, Father. I thank you for Jesus, God. Thank you for his death on the cross that we may be washed as white as snow. Thank you that the Lamb has overcome, God.
Father, today we, we boast in that love. That love that is so, so, so great. That love that caused the, the grind, the very grind to shake, the stone to be rolled away. Thank you, Father, that that love is still doing that in our lives today. God, the hard grind, God, the hard places is being shaken up. Thank you, God, that barriers and stones are being rolled away God in people's lives thank you that you are the God of the impossible nothing is impossible for you Father we just thank you God though so basically God that that love behold what manner of love the Father has for those for us that we would be called the sons and the daughters of God Father we, we just stand here as God, as those who have remembered as we've broken bread, all that you've done for us, Jesus, and all that it means, we're yours, we're your children. Jesus, we are your church. Together we just afresh declare our love for you. We love you, King Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. You're so welcome here. sings my soul how great is your love I love you Holy Spirit continue to present yourself we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen thanks guys let me sort these out good morning yes or good afternoon we're out now good afternoon everyone how's everyone doing you're very welcome. Um, the church, as Tash already said, if it's one of your first weeks, uh, big welcome to you. Thank you so much for coming and being part of what we're doing. This morning, just as we start in, uh, we wanted to pray for our team that is going to Cambodia. This time next week, they will either be in the airport or they'll be in the air um, flying um, over to, to serve in Cambodia. So we would love to get an opportunity to pray for them this morning. So I'm going to ask the team, we did this first service 
Thank you that they've stayed around. We'd love if they could come up to the front and just join in with us, please. We're going to pray for them. We believe that this is a very biblical thing to do as we lay on hands. We commission people. It's an act of them being set apart, um, being sent out from us as part of us, carrying who we are as a family and to those that need it. So uh, the guys are heading. If any of our elders, any of their friends are here, anybody who would like to come and stand with them, we'd just love to invite you to come. And We're just going to lay hands on them uh, this morning as we do this. Um, some of you will have known we've journeyed. We've been on a journey just as a church family, just exploring uh, kingdom partnership in Cambodia and all that God is doing there. It's a nation that has suffered much loss, has suffered much exploitation. This nation had so much need. And the way that that has mainly presented itself has been in sex exploitation and particularly around the area of child trafficking and many of the projects that these guys are going to be working with particularly is going to be focused around this so there's listen there's lots of darkness and oppression they're going to be facing in the coming weeks we would love to pray protection over them pray blessing over them pray the peace of God upon them so could you as a family could you stretch your hand out towards them this morning please even if you're not with them and let's just pray commission them afresh Father, I thank you for each one of this team. I thank you for this team of 12. I thank you, Father, that they are set apart. They are called for such a time as this. I thank you for the anointing that they each carry. I thank you for the gifts and abilities that you've blessed them with, each individually and together in this team. I thank you for the mix that is in this team. This is the right mix for the right moment, for the right situations that they face. And God, by the laying on of hands, like Paul did with Timothy, we just fan into flame the gifts that, um, that were anointed and placed within them. God, through the laying on of hands, we call them forward. God, Lord, the gifts maybe within some of the guys that have laid dormant, Holy Spirit, we just breathe your life upon them. We just pray that you would breathe, that you would raise them up again. But God, most importantly, we pray for the new gifts, the now gifts in this now moment. I thank you, Lord, that you know ahead, Lord, the situations that they will face. And we just pray, Lord, that you will empower them and anoint them afresh now with the gifts that are needed. Thank you, God, for the heart that you've placed within each of them, the heart, Lord, for compassion, the heart for, for mission and for justice. And God, we just pray as they go. God, we pray, Lord, that you will open up the doors. God, I pray, Lord, for real kingdom appointments, God, and opportunities. God, I pray and thank you for every conversation that they'll have with each of the workers out there. God, Lord, with every sex worker in that nation, with every child that is broken and exploited. I thank you, Father, that they speak words of life to them. I thank you that they carry the heart of a father to that nation. God, into a nation, God, that is ravaged by an, a spirit of, uh, of, uh, of, of an orphan spirit. God, I thank you, God, that instead we speak out the heart of adoption, the spirit of adoption that says they are true, they can be true sons and daughters of God. And God, we just pray your life upon that nation. God, upon every conversation, God, every hand that is held, God, we just pray, Lord, that they will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, move and thank you that you're with them. God, I just pray for Lee as he leads this team. God, I thank you for him. Thank you, God, for the anointing you've placed upon his life. God, I pray your wisdom upon him as he leads. God, I thank you for all that he has done in the run-up to this. I thank you for the stature, God, Lord, and the, the measure of leadership that you've placed upon him. God, we just double it right now. 
God, we pray a double portion upon you, Lee, right now. We just pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would just equip him, God, and release all the gifts of leadership, God, that he needs upon him right now. And I thank you that this is a new moment of him stepping up again. Thank you, God, uh, for his leadership for these guys. I thank you for his friendship for these guys as well. I thank you that this is a team, firstly, of friends, God, and of equals. And God, I just pray through it all, Father, you lead them into fullness of life, and that through them, God, this nation would be led as well, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done here in Cambodia. Safety for them as they travel. Protect them from sickness. Your full blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Bless you. Amen. Man, I'm sorry I'm getting a bit tearful as I pray. Part of me wishes I was going with you. <laughs> Um, uh, also, just to say, in terms of mission, we have um, we announced this earlier in the year. We have other mission opportunities available as a church. Um, you know that we are, uh, as a church, two or three years ago, we um, officially adopted an unreached people group, a Muslim people group in the northwest of India called the Gujarati Sheikh. And uh, we, we, as a church, we just are sending teams. We're praying for them. We're probably going to be raising the profile of that a bit more in the coming months, but we're going to be sending a team over to India on the 29th of October for a week. Um, some of it's going to be based around medical work, but a lot of it's going to be based around intercessory prayer. So if you have a heart for intercession, heart for mission, we would just love, to, love you to be part of this team. The flights are going to be booked in the next uh, few weeks, but if you'd like to speak to me about that, would be great. Great. We are continuing on with this theme, Servant King, Reflections in Jesus and Mark's Gospel, just to say that... Um, we are following along. We're just trying to practice the principle and rhythm of having an actual written Bible with us. Not we're being legalistic or religious about this, but it just means we can get used to the rhythm of actually scribbling over it and making notes. So we're giving out, we have hundreds of copies of this. We're giving these out week after week, even if you forgot it every week and you're getting a fresh copy every week. What I would love you to do right now, if you don't have one, uh, could you put your hand up? If you've got your own Bible, it's fine. But if you don't have one, could you put your hand up and the guys are going to come and bring you one now, uh, just as we start into this. Keep the hands up high. The guys will be with you in a wee second. Guys, in case you can't see, there's a few in the front row right here as well. My wife, one of them, doesn't have a copy. <laughs> Lindsay, oh, sorry, not just Mueller, Lindsay too. <laughs> Keep your hands up, guys, until the coffee's come, can you? Neil? Some of us. We uh, came up just as we started into this. Last week we did this as well. Um, we are, um, the U version, the, the app in the Bible, have some really good videos that narrate the, the gospel of Mark work. There's loads more of the copies if people still need them in the wee cupboard just across from my office. <laughs> Sorry, we ran out. Guys, I'll get you to put your hand up in a wee second work comes because the lactic acid will build up otherwise. All right, so what we'll do, we're going to watch this. There's a narration we're going to watch on the screen just as he goes and gets those. And then off the back of it, if people still need copies, we'll get those to you. So this is the passage around Mark 6, verse 30 to 52. Uh, and we'll listen along and watch along on the screens as we see this this morning. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them 
and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Okay, um, apologies about the sound. It was a wee bit um, muffled this morning. Put your hands up again, sorry if you still need a copy, just as we start into this. Guys, we've got loads more of them to give out. Just uh, as, as they're doing that, um, just keep your hand up until you get one. Um, as, as they're doing that, just to say today, it's probably going to be slightly different in terms of how I would normally teach. I felt that this, this week, particularly, it was almost like I felt with this passage, I was... I was doing like a Lecto Divina, a meditative reflection on it myself. And so what I'm going to do today is just simply share my reflection, uh, just two or three things that I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me specifically, and I want to flesh it out in terms of what it can mean for us as a church. So what you're really going to hear today is just really my ramblings as I go through this passage, I suppose just to highlight just my, my, some of my main thoughts that we were taken out of it. So if, if you're following along, um, we are on page 22 and 23 in, in the books where in Mark chapter 6. 
last week, just to set the context of this, in the evening time, Ryan was speaking, and uh, he looked at the beginning part of Mark chapter 6, and, uh, and in this, what he looked at was about how the 12 were, were sent out. The 12 at this stage, Ryan pointed out to us, were not called the disciples, the disciples that means to follow. At this stage, they were called the apostles. That means that they are the sent ones. This was the first time that this had happened. So they had watched, they had followed Jesus. Now Jesus was sending them out at this point. Jesus gave them a mandate. He told them certain things to do, certain things not to do, but they were sent out. One of the things that we, just to kind of set the tone for this, one of the things that we teach within Grow and some other environments in terms of discipleship is about this thing that's called the discipleship um, circle. Uh, I think it was Mike Brain and the 3D, 3DM guys who came up with this. But as we reflect on Jesus and how he discipled people, this is what Jesus tended to do in terms of how he made disciples. And the first thing that Jesus did was simply to invite people to come and to watch. So there was an I do, you watch. I'll, I'll explain this in a wee second. The next part of the cycle, it goes to I do, you learn. The next part of it goes to you do, I learn. And then it goes, you do, I watch. Let me explain what I mean by that. So Jesus, initially what he did with the disciples, we looked at this last week with some of the disciples as they were called. The initial invitation was simply these words, follow me, come and follow after me. This is what happened with rabbis in those days. It wasn't to sit as a student in a classroom and listen and I'm going to dictate to you. It was follow me, come and watch my life, come and watch the rhythms, the different ways that I do things, how I engage with people, how I have conversations with people, as people throw insults up with me, how I deal with it, how I respond, how I go back, follow me, get to learn my way of life. Jesus, remember, said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. We've always said that. Then in the church in Northern Ireland, we are just big on learning the truth and beating, beating people over the head with the truth. But Jesus said primarily there was a way, a Jesus way. What are the ways that Jesus we get to learn? And we do that by following him and exploring. So this is what he did. He called people to follow and then they learn, this is the passage we're in today, the feeding of the 5,000. There's something that as they watch Jesus and as they're part of this, they learn something. There's a learning in it. I'm going to point out some of the things, one, one of the main things I felt was a learning in this for me and for us today. And then Jesus sends them out. So Ryan looked at this last week. It wasn't as the teacher saying, right, well, he was going to do it all and they would just come and just tag along. Jesus wasn't trusting this. He was delegating authority. There was a co-partnering with this. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and part of the church. We co-partner with him and Jesus sends them out. This is what Ryan looked at last week at the beginning of Mark chapter 6. The apostles, the sent ones, they are sent out. And in this, and even in Luke chapter 9 and 10, what happens is that they come back. We're going to look at this right now. They come back, and as they come back, they come back with a report. They feed back to Jesus. Like even in Luke chapter 10, they come back and they're saying things like this. Jesus, even the very demons obeyed us. And Jesus is like, well, that's, that's good, but that's not the most important thing. There was a bit of a feedback and a pushback with this. They're, they were learning something as they discussed it together. We're going to look at this in a wee second. And then finally, Jesus, as he goes back to heaven, it's a, right, this is over to you now. I'm going to watch. We're going to see at the end of this passage how Jesus is watching. He's present. He's with us as we go through this journey. The, the first thing that I just really wanted to bring out with this today um, was... Was really, I suppose, looking at what happened. If we look at verse 30, as, as the apostles come back, so as Ryan has said, they, they have been sent out. And you can imagine as they've been sent out, they now come back. And it says in verse 30, if you, if you want to underline it, if you have a pen, it says this, after the apostles returned to Jesus, they told him everything that they had done 
and taught, right? They had told him everything that they had done and taught. They come back to Jesus. You can imagine that they're excited. So here's me and my ramblings and my thoughts of this week. My head began to question this. Imagine what were some of the stories, what were some of the things that the disciples were able to come back and tell Jesus about some of the things that they had taught, firstly. If you can imagine this, do you know the way sometimes when you're speaking to someone about a subject and you know that that person is a real expert in that subject, and so you're trying to be really careful with your words and some of the things that you say, and you're hoping that you get it right? Any of you ever been in conversations like that? You're hoping that this person will get or understand it. I can almost imagine, right, because they've set, the disciples have set and have listened to Jesus proclaim the kingdom. And now they've gone out. And as they come back, they gather around Jesus. And in an excited way, they come back and they're like, Jesus, here's, here's what happened. We went into this town and, uh, and we got speaking to this couple. And uh, they were asking questions. And when we were there, we, we said this to them. We told them this about the kingdom. And you can almost that's where my head was going. You can almost imagine him looking at Jesus and thinking, did we get that right? Did we get it right? You can almost see in this, they were coming back, but there was an excitement in this. They were able to, Jesus, here's what we did. Do you remember that time you said that about the kingdom? We went and said that to these other people. They were so excited to come back and to tell. And they weren't even excited to talk just about the things that they had spoken and they taught, but they were excited to talk about the things that they had done. I uh, as well was imagining this. Up to this point, Everything that they had seen in terms of signs and wonders had been through Jesus and had been with Jesus. Jesus had now, at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, had sent them out. You can imagine how nervous that is. Jesus is holding back and he's saying, right, on you go. You guys go and do this. Imagine how nervous that is. Suddenly they're like, so, so, so you're not coming with us? You're, you're, oh, so you're just staying here, so right, we're going on our own. And you can imagine the nervousness of going and actually doing this, but imagine this, sometimes when, when you're sent to do things that just feels a bit uncomfortable, sometimes fear and anxiety can really hold us back. Here's the thing, some of the stories that they come back and report to Jesus, how they would have missed out on it if they had been held by their fear or by their anxiety, by their worries about could they do this or could they not, they pushed past it all. And as they pushed past it all, they got to experience the kingdom coming alive in and through them. And the thing for me, the thing for me that made me understand why there was a reason why they just kept going and pushing back was this. They knew that Jesus had sent them out, but very shortly they were coming back and they were going to stand and talk to Jesus all about this. Imagine, like, so they were excited to come back and to tell the stories of all that had happened. It would have been a totally different story, wouldn't it, if they'd have come back and they said, Jesus, listen, I know, I know you sent us, but we went in and people were, like, insulting us and we just got a wee bit anxious and nervous, so we didn't really do anything. Just, you know, wanted to just make sure that we weren't causing any problems, so we just held back a wee bit. And there was a person that was, was blind, but I just couldn't remember the way you'd done it. What was the words you said that time? So it just... Imagine the stories if that's what it had been. But they pushed past their fear because they realized that they were coming back. And in this, in this moment, this is me imagining again, the joy in Jesus' heart as the apostles come back and they stand in front of him and they say, Jesus, we did hear what happened. We went into this town and when we were there, we saw this blind man, just like you prayed for him. Me and, me and Peter, I grabbed Peter and the two of us went over and we laid hands and we prayed just like you had prayed and in your name. And he saw again. And Jesus, we saw this man and he was possessed by a demon. And just like you had taught us to do, we went and laid hands on him. And, and, and guess what? The demons came out, Jesus, in your name. 
And all these things and excitement they're standing and they're talking to Jesus about. And this is what I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me about. And this is the first point of my ramblings this week. One day, one day I'm going to stand before Jesus. Jesus who has called me, sent one. Jesus who has told me to go. And you know what, sometimes it's, I don't know about you, any of you ever, maybe this is just me, any of you ever feel sometimes when you hear people saying one day you're going to stand before Jesus, it seems to be your mind goes to, oh rubbish, I'm going to have to talk about that thing that I did. <laughs> any of you ever think that? That bad thought that I thought or that time I really insulted that person, oh man, I'm going to have to talk to Jesus about that one. And it seems to be that our mind automatically goes to the negative. Here's the beautiful thing. It's great, good news. One day, we're going to stand before Jesus and in an atmosphere of excitement and joy, we're going to be able to talk and share stories about how the kingdom came, how we saw the kingdom come alive through our lives by his power and anointing being upon us. We're going to be able to talk about this because here's the thing, we are co-partnering with Jesus. We are part of this with him. We are in this together and one day I'm going to be able to stand and talk to Jesus about some of the ways that I saw the kingdom come. That person that I talked to about Jesus and how they gave their life to him as they proclaimed. That person that I laid hands on and prayed for and they were healed. The kingdom came in and through them. One day I'm going to be able to stand with Jesus. We're going to be able to talk about these things. Imagine the joy in his heart. Imagine it. We don't have to think and fear, oh, well, what would I say or what would I do? Imagine just being able to share about these things. And so the first question I just simply wanted to ask before we jump into so the main point I want to land is this. Oh, wick. Let me skim past this. The main point I really wanted to ask is this. One day, as we stand before Jesus, and one day as we will look him in the eye, the question I suppose I wanted to ask myself or was asking is this, what stories am I going to be able to talk about with Jesus? about how I lived as a sent one and saw the kingdom come in and through my life. Take a moment to reflect on this wee second for yourself. Right now, if this was the moment, and I don't say this at all in shame, right, whatsoever, this is something that just almost motivates me. <laughs> Imagine if it was right now, what stories would you talk about with Jesus? What would you be able to say to Jesus? Jesus, this is how I saw the kingdom come. These are the things that I know you'd sent me to do and we did and here's the great things that happened. What will be some of the stories? And listen, taking it a step further, what are some of the things you would like to say to Jesus? What are some of the things that you would like to do someday when you stand before him, being able to talk about? And so this is the good news. This is the excitement of what it means to be part of the church one day. One day we're coming back, much like the disciples here in verse 30. One day we're going to be giving our stories and sharing our stories about what all has happened. The thing about the disciples, right, is that now they're back. They're excited to be back. And again, where my mind was reflecting on this was, you can almost imagine that as they're journeying back, as exciting as that was, being able to be out and to be uh, doing all these things and seeing the kingdom come, they could not wait to get back and spend time with Jesus. My, my head was going, I wonder if they're starting to ask questions like, I wonder what Jesus will do next. I, want, I, wonder, I wonder what miracle will do. I wonder what place we'll go to next. I wonder how many people he's going to raise from the dead in the next town. I wonder, wonder what he's going to send us and what he's going to get us to do. Their minds were automatically going. They'd experienced this amazing thing of the kingdom. And now they're beginning to think, right, what's next? 
What is the next thing? And so Jesus, they're almost, they're, they're here with them. They've reported and they're waiting, right? What's the next mission statement? What's their next directives? What's the next town you want us to take? Where are we going with you now, Lord? How are we going to see the kingdom come in big ways? And if you look at verse 31, they don't really get the response that they're looking for. Verse 31, so everything's really taken from these first two verses and then we'll reflect and briefly in the others, says this, but so many people were coming and going that Jesus and the apostles did not even have a chance to eat. Then Jesus said, let's go to a place where we can be alone and get some rest. This, this is probably not what the disciples were expecting. They were pumped. <laughs> they come back, they're in an absolute adrenaline high. They'd just seen the kingdom come in amazing ways. They're ready to go again. They want to keep going. They're ready to go and do the next big thing. Love to see next big things with Jesus. But here's the thing that Jesus is telling his disciples to do. No, 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 no. We're not going to do it. We're just going to stop right now. We're going to rest. You see, Jesus, what he's modeling out here is this principle. It's a, it's a, it's a massively biblical principle called Sabbath. It's called rest. He's guiding them in it. And here's the two things that Jesus is telling them to do as a principle of Sabbath. He's saying this. I want you to get time alone with me, time alone with God, and I want you to rest. I want you to not feel like you have to work, 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 and keep doing. I just want you to rest. Jesus is trying to model this to them. He's trying to get them to understand that, yes, they've been sent out. They were called apostles. They were given this mission. They've gone and they've seen the kingdom come. But now that they've done it, now there's a need to rest. Now there's a need to Sabbath. There's the principle of this. What we understand about Sabbath in the Bible is that uh, Sabbath was a recreational principle. In Genesis, we're told that God created the world in, in six days, but on the seventh day, he rested. This is what it says in Genesis chapter two. So Genesis one tells us the creation of all things in six days. And Genesis two leads off of this. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This day, the seventh day was set aside and within the law of the Ten Commandments, the following instructions were given regarding it. This is what it says. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. This day is holy means it's set apart for God. There's something sacred in this day. The issue, right, and the, the problem where the church has gone wrong with us over the years, I feel, and even still today, is that they've missed the main point of Sabbath. And what they've done is that they've placed more emphasis on a specific day rather than the principles that are actually at work in Sabbath. So we've said Sunday Make sure you keep a Sunday holy. We've tried to make a day holy rather than seeing the principles that are at work in the day that are trying to do something about our holiness and seeing us come alive. So one story I had about this, I remember when I was young, um, my, one of my cousins, Stephen Crabbs, you might know him, he's called Ralph. And uh, me, me and him, years, I was about six years old. And I remember being around at his house one of the days and 
my, my mum and dad, um, obviously, very much believed the Lord's Day, keep it holy, you know, so there's no TV on a Sunday, football and all, that was definitely not on a Sunday, it's very secular, you wouldn't be doing that. And uh, me and him, we were outside and we had a massive dilemma because it was a Sunday and we really wanted to play football. And, uh, and so we had this conversation and as I was reflecting on it, it was, for me, it was, it was one of the earliest memories I can remember of myself thinking, that was pretty genius. And uh, we decided, we came up with an idea, we were going to play football and then we'd ask Jesus to forgive us for playing football on a Sunday, right? Because this was a Sunday, you just don't do that, but we really wanted to play, right? And what had happened in that moment on reflection was that we had missed an understanding of what actually Sabbath is about. You see, in, in the churches I think today, particularly in the traditional churches, it's that this day, there's something about a day. And listen, it's the principle of the day. It's what is at work in it, the spirit that is at work in it, that is the holy thing that we can sometimes miss out on. I love what Abraham Heschel says. He's, he's a Jewish rabbi, and he writes a book called The Sabbath. And this is what he says. This is the depth of the Jewish understanding about the Sabbath. Listen to what he says here. So this word Shabbat is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. But it says this, Shabbat comes with its own holiness. We enter not simply a day, but an atmosphere. My father cites the Suhar. The Sabbath is the name of God. We are within the Sabbath rather than the Sabbath being within us. For my father, the question is how to perceive that holiness. Not how much to observe, but how to observe. Strict adherence to the laws regulating Sabbath observance doesn't suffice. The goal is creating the Sabbath as a foretaste of paradise. The Sabbath is a metaphor for paradise and a testimony to God's presence. In our prayers, we anticipate a messianic era that will be a Sabbath. And each Sabbath or Shabbat prepares us for that experience. Unless one learns how to to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. It was on the seventh day that God gave the world a soul. And the world's survival depends upon the holiness of the seventh day. The task, he writes, becomes how to convert time into eternity, how to fill our time with spirit. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wrangling profit from the earth. On the seventh day, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. This Holiness of Sabbath, again, not about a day, but something that is allowing us to just down tools. It seems to be, we'll look at this in a second, it seems to be that for a lot of us in society, we're just told it's about go, 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 be as productive as you can, get as much as you can, be creative as much as you can, get as much money as you can, keep going, keep doing, keep doing. But there's something that we miss about the need and the necessity to rest to allow ourselves to breathe in this moment. And what we're going to see today is that this has got nothing to do with, again, a specific day, or you must do it this way and no other ways. It's about what are some of the ways that you're able to recreate, that you're able to replenish your soul, because that's the spirit of Sabbath. How are you actually allowing yourself to breathe and to restore And these are some of the things that we need to hold each other accountable to as much as we can. The issue with the Pharisees in Jesus' day, again, is that they were focused on this day that had to be observed exactly the certain way that they had done it. If you turn to page 13 in your books, um, so um, if you're just following along in your own Bible, it's Mark chapter 3. But in page 13, you'll see that it opens up here 
with um, the story about Jesus healing a crippled man's hand. And this happens on the Sabbath, right? It happens on this holy day. And what we read about is that the disciples or the Pharisees actually are trying to absolutely nail Jesus for this one. It's like, he's done good, but he's done it on the Sabbath. He's done it on a holy day. This is the day where they say, you shouldn't do stuff like this. And this man has gone and done it. So let's condemn him. Let's, let's get rid of him for this because you just never do stuff like this on Sabbath. But just before it, Jesus actually has taught on the principles of Sabbath. If you look on the same page, page 13. So this is chapter 2, the end of it, verse 37. Listen to what it says. Jesus finished by saying, people were not made for the good of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the good of people. Listen to what it says again. People were not made for the good of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the good of people. In other words, we weren't made to try and make something special of this day or to make it holy. There was something special and holy already about this day that was for our good, for us as human beings and for us as the children of God. It's a day when we lay down tools. We don't focus on work or labor, but we instead allow our souls to breathe. So here's a question. How, how do you rest? How do you practice the principle of Sabbath? How easily do you do it? If, you were, if any of you are at the Debar conference, you would have heard, some of you maybe have gone to it, Pete Gregg did a seminar on apostomonastic rhythms. Um, the podcast for this, this is the screenshot of it are online on our website, so you can listen to that. It's really good. But in this, what he was talking about, this idea of apostles, remember we said that word apostles, the sent ones, it's this reality that for all of us and as the church that there's a mission to go, but again within our society and culture, it's just saying go, 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 keep going, keep doing but the need, if we're going to live healthy rhythms of life with Jesus as the church, we need to realize that there's a separate side of this that keeps it all balanced, and it's called the monastic rhythms. The monastic rhythms, the Celtic rhythms, was about withdrawal, retreat, time alone, solitude, rest. Rather, it wasn't so much about doing, but it was about being. It was allowing your soul to breathe. And what we're saying in this is that these both need to be side by side in, 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 a, in a proper proportion in each of our lives if we're going to be able to do this in a sustainable way for the long term. Now, I know I'm probably one of the worst people at this, but this is why I need people around me to hold me accountable to this. I need people to keep around me who will keep me in check with this because for all of us, it's just, isn't there always the temptation just to keep going, to keep doing that that's what it's about? But we need to see and understand the principle of Sabbath. Pete, what he taught at this stage as a way of understanding it was that even within creation, there was a natural principle that God has given of breathing out and breathing in. As you breathe out, it's almost like the apostle side of it, the go, we are the sent ones, we are breathing out into the world, we are those that carry the kingdom message. But you know what it's like? If you keep breathing out, keep breathing, breathing, eventually it starts to hurt and you need to breathe in. There comes a point where you gotta breathe back in again and take a deep breath. And it's at this moment that you replenish yourself, your lungs are filled with oxygen. It's the very thing that gives you energy and gives you life. And it's in this, and again, you can't hold your breath in for too much longer until it starts to hurt again and suddenly you need to breathe out. And so even within the very creation mandate about how we breathe, this is what it is as a church. We constantly need to be breathing out, but then breathing in to breathe out. We breathe in to breathe out. We breathe in and we're replenished and it's the overflow it's created so that we can breathe out. It's who we are as the church. So many people, it seems, so they love one or the other. They love the breathe out. They love the going, the going, the going. For other people, they love the, let's just get time alone with God. They don't really like much of the doing. They don't like much of the going to do stuff. But yet this is all part of it. One of the things I felt the Holy Spirit say, 
and this is something I got to check in myself at times, it's just in terms of my, where I'm at in my spiritual walk with the Lord, is this, do you ever get sometimes where there's not really much breathing out or breathing in? Do you ever notice that sometimes? I, I notice it at times in my life where maybe I'm just not as active or there's not a desire to be doing, to be the church, to be those in mission. And you know what? On the, on the other side, there's not much breathing in also. And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me during the week. You know that if, if there's not much breathing out or breathing in, it's what you would call spiritually dead. If you're not breathing in or out, it's dead. Now, I don't say that in a condemning way. Because here's the good thing the Holy Spirit said to me, is that if you feel that you're spiritually dead, the beautiful thing is that we believe in a God of resurrection. A God who can breathe life again. And all it simply is, is that in that moment, it's just inviting, Holy Spirit, would you breathe life afresh? Would you breathe your breath of life into every part of me and invite you again? And Jesus, would you speak your words of life? Because I'm probably speaking some words as me to myself. I'm probably speaking some words that I'm being harsh on myself. Jesus, would you speak your words of life to me? And this is where we are resurrected once again. And we come alive to be this, to be those who go and to retreat, to go and to retreat. We've got to be those who spend time alone with God. Warwick said he was reading a book over the summer, I think. Andrew and some of the guys read this as well. I've got it for holidays. It's by a guy called John Mark Comer, Garden City. And in this, he talks about Sabbath. He says this, Sabbath is a way to break the addictive pattern of accomplish more, accumulate more, repeat. It's an act of defiance and rebellion against the endless, restless grind of workaholism and consumerism. Sabbath is a way to say enough, enough work. Work is a good thing, but it is not the thing. There's more to life than production. There's pleasure. Sabbath is a way to break our addiction to accomplishment. One day a week, we cease all work, not just the work we get paid for. We rest even from the thought of labor. Do you know what? There's, there's different ways. Suppose for me in this, there's different ways that you're able to replenish or to recreate. For me, like, yeah, it could be reading a book, perhaps. It could be spending time with people. It's a big way for me. One of the ways I was saying this this morning, one of the ways that I actually find a bit of life, not every day, but now and again, I actually enjoy a bit of cooking, right? And I actually find a bit of life in it. Actually, you just get alone. It's a different rhythm. It's not your work. It's actually your, it's something pleasurable in it. And, uh, and I actually find a bit of life. But one of the times I remember I'd said to Laura, we were bringing someone around for dinner. I remember Laura said this to me in a really good way. She was trying to check me. She said, Dave, when, are you, when, when on earth are you ever going to rest? Because for her, that's not a principle of rest. It probably stresses her out more than anything. Laura loves spending time with people, but she'd rather just go get a, get a takeaway, right, rather than cooking. It just it doesn't bring her life, you know. But there are different ways that we all recreate. And it's what is the different ways that you are able to recreate? What brings you life? How can you lay aside the practice of work or of doing and create space to recreate and rest? How can you intentionally do this. So what are some of the things? And even for some of you who are in friendship circles or in married couples, it's how do you hold each other in account to this? Because you know some of the things and some of the ways that you're able to practice the rhythm of, rec of recreating, of breathing afresh. It's what are the things that drain you, right? Some of that can be your work. What are some of the things that drain you? On a principle of Sabbath, it's these are the times that we just say, right, enough of that. I'm going to take a bit of time out. 
And if a thought crosses my mind, so Francis in the first service was saying that they're trying to practice this, and he's just getting into the rhythm of this. When work comes in his mind, it's hard, but it's like saying, no, I, I'm not doing this because I'm just laying down tools at the minute. I just want to wanna breathe. I want to refresh myself and refresh my soul. How do we practice these intentionally? The thing is, when we get into that place, and with us, we're almost done. When we get into that place, when you're resting, and when you get into a place where it just, it's a lovely place to be, when you're just replenishing your soul, one of the things that it's really hard to do is to turn around and to then be active again. Do you ever, any of you ever find that sometimes when you like, take two weeks out on holiday and the dreadful thought is, oh, we have to go back to work. And it's a hard thought of how do you switch back into productivity after a time of rest. What we see in this passage, and this is one of the final things I just wanted to land was this, the disciples, I feel, did this. As they come back, Right As they're coming back, they're thinking to themselves, I wonder what's the next big thing that Jesus is going to do. And as they're here, we see that in this passage in the feeding of the 5,000, it says this, let me just paraphrase it. It says that as they're there, there's a crowd that has followed them. Jesus arrives, they arrive in the boat, the crowd are there. Jesus takes sympathy, we're told, on them. And uh, Jesus so spends the rest of the day teaching them. Jesus loves us, he's compassion on them. And so he teaches them, he's proclaiming the kingdom. The disciples are starting to worry. They're in the middle of a desert. They're freaking out and they're thinking, how on earth are we going to feed these people? They see a problem. And so what they say to Jesus is, Jesus, would you do something about this? Jesus, look at this problem. Jesus, would you do something about it? If you take a look, I think it's in verse 36, I think. Yes, this is what they say. Let the crowds leave. Some other translations say, Jesus, send them away. Let the crowds leave so that they can go to the farms and villages nearby and get something to eat. And Jesus replies this in verse 37. Jesus says this to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Again, what I felt the Holy Spirit said to me was this, and I feel that this is for all of us in the room. The disciples, right, let's just journey this again. The disciples have just been sent out. They have been active. Because Jesus hasn't been there, they've had to take the initiative. They've seen the kingdom come in and through their lives. In amazing ways, this is what they've come back and reported to Jesus. Now they're here with Jesus. And suddenly in this moment, because Jesus is here, they're in their comfort zone once again. They're in this place where they're comfortable. It's like, oh, well, we don't need to do it because Jesus is here. And what they do in this moment is they say, see this problem. They say, Jesus, would you do something about this, please? Jesus, here's this crowd and they're going to be hungry. Would you send them away? And here's where my thoughts went to this week. I felt the Holy Spirit challenge me. In terms of my prayers, what are so many of the times that I pray, Jesus, Here's someone that needs something. Jesus would, you do, Jesus, would you do this for them? Jesus, would you bless them? Jesus, would you do this? And yet Jesus in return is looking at me and saying, you feed them. You can imagine the frustration. Like these guys have just gone out. They've been on their own and they've done all this stuff. And now suddenly when they're back, they're hiding behind Jesus. And Jesus said, lads, we're co-partnering this together. You've gone out and you've done it. You feed them. You're able to do this stuff now. You don't just need me. You can do it. And Jesus models it again and teaches them how to do it. But here's my thoughts. For us as the church, 99.9% of our prayers and the problems that we see in people's lives, isn't it where we're just like, God, would you do this? We see, see, we see someone that is maybe hungry, homeless, and we're like, God, would you bless that person? Would you help them? And Jesus is looking at us and thinking, but, but you're the church you're how I actually outwork my ministry on earth. So would you feed them? We see someone who is who's lonely. 
This is what Jesus said. Remember one of the passages we read a few weeks ago? And we're saying, Jesus, would you be with that person? Jesus is like, no, you be with that person. You be with them. Because we are the church. We are in this together with God. Some of the things that I'd written in this, being called apostles for the 12, the sent ones, wasn't them being given a position. It was them being given a purpose. Right? That's what it meant for them. Their purpose was that now they were active. And that's what Jesus was saying. Guys, this is your purpose. You go feed them. And for us as the church, this is exactly what it is. As the church, as the sent ones of God, it isn't about now being given a label or a title of Christian. It's about being reawakened to our original purpose and design. We're delegated authority to the kingdom, for kingdom to come and for the creation to flourish once again. It's through us. And so here's the thing I felt the Holy Spirit said to me during the week. We are not the backup plan if God doesn't come through. The church moving under his power and authority is the primary way in which God wants to outwork his healing and restoration on earth. Do you get that? It's not as if when we're praying and praying and praying and suddenly God doesn't come and we're saying, right, well, maybe we should do something about it. In our prayers, listen, of course we need to pray about it. And of course we're, we're asking the Holy Spirit to step in and to move in people's lives. And of course we're asking God to do it. But so much of our prayers, Jesus is looking back at us and saying, you feed them. You're the church. You're the ones that I'm sending to be active and to do this. So when you see someone that's sick, instead of praying a prayer in the closet on your own in the dark, away from this person saying, God, would you heal that person? Why aren't we going and laying hands on that person and declaring healing in the name of Jesus over their lives? Because we need to feed them. Do you understand what I mean? And so this is what Jesus is saying. What are some of the times in our lives where Jesus is simply saying this to us? You feed them. What are the prayers that you're praying for people at the minute? That this is what he's saying. He's with us. He's with us, but he wants us to be with him. We co-partner. We are delegated authority to be active and to do this together. So what are some of the prayers that you're praying at the minute that Jesus is actually saying, you are the answer to your own prayer? The thing that you're asking him to do, you are his hands. You are his feet. You are his voice. Let's be active in it together. The thing is, as this finishes, if Steve, do you and the guys want to come? If you're in a storm, the beautiful thing about Jesus, it's not as if he just leaves it all to us. He's present with us. The beautiful thing is you read this, as, as we read the passage about the storm, it says this in verse, let me see this. Um, yeah, so if you look at verse 46, verse 45 and 46, straight away Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and sent back across to Bethsaida, but he stayed until he had sent the crowds away. Then he said goodbye to them and he went up the side of a mountain to pray. So Jesus has gone up to be on his own. He's practicing Sabbath. But at this stage, what happens is a storm comes to pass. And it says this in verse 48, he could see that the disciples were struggling hard. There's this beautiful thought. Jesus was up the mountain praying, spending time with God, but he was still watching. And the thing you need to know is that Jesus is not, he, he is not removed from your situation. He's praying for you and he's watching, right? He's watching and he's praying and he's with us. If there's personal stuff going on in your life, the Lord is active and he's with you. It actually goes on and it says he gets into the boat. He walks on the problem, the waters and the storm. He gets into the boat and he's with them. But here's the thing. If you're going through times of difficulty, the thing I would say is don't isolate yourself. Because part of how God wants to actually outwork in your life is through us, through the church. Because we are how God outworks. We are the ones that are carrying on the ministry of Jesus on earth. 
And so let's not retreat in terms of isolating ourselves completely away from people. Be around the body, but still have our times of Sabbath when those that need it. Let's stand this morning as we finish. just want to read a couple of things, and then we're going to sing a song just as we close off. Jesus watches and prays for us. Simply this, at the end of all my ramblings this week, Steve's just going to sing just one course of this song, and then we're going to go get the kids. It says this, it's time, it's time to be involved. We are the church, so we breathe out. You know, we've been chanting about this the last two or three weeks. We're the sent ones. So it's time to be involved, but it's a time to be as well. It's a time to be active more than ever, but it's a time to rest more than ever. It's a time to get involved with the mission like never before, yet it's a time to Sabbath like never before. We are the church, and these are the rhythms that keep us healthy and ensure that we work out of overflow and come back to the place to be filled once again. Jesus, thank you for leading us into life. Thank you that even as we reflect on how you journeyed with the 12, we apply it to our own rhythms and our own lives. Thank you that we're sent, but as we as we finish, God, some of the things you've given us to do, God, we just rest. God, we help us to be principled and boundary, God, on how we rhythm, practice Sabbath and rest in our lives. God, help us to be bold, God, and say no to the things we need to say no to so we can say yes to this. But God, out of the place of rest, God, would you just lead us again? Father, thank you that, God, many times we are the answer to our own prayers because your Holy Spirit is at work within us. Thank you for the power and authority that we carry in your name, Jesus. And in that, we just say, God, would you use us? Let your kingdom come in us and through us. And Jesus, one day, we'll stand with you and we'll talk about this all together. And we're excited one day to be able to talk about those kingdom stories. Right now, we just pray, God, you just flow, overflow in our lives, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, in your name. Amen. Stir a passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. Stir a passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. Let it rise, let it rise. Holy fire burn inside.
passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. Stir a passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. See, so yeah, Father, would you stir that in our hearts, God? A passion for your kingdom come. Your will be done on our lives, here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we just pray, Holy Spirit, you'll continue to speak into this word, continue to challenge us, lead us in the life we pray. Just to say, if anyone wants to respond to this, the prayer ministry team are at the back, particularly some of the things we said, maybe around some of you sensing just a dryness or a deadness this morning. It'd be great if the guys were able to pray with you. You'll see the screens at the back. Um, healing rooms and encounter nights tonight. There's no baptism service this month, so it's just encounter night and healing rooms at 6.30. Love you to be part of that and invite people. We love to pray for them tonight as well. And if you have kids, please go and get them now. It'd be great. Bless you the rest of this day.